and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what aged like fine strawberry wine and what aged like milk. I'm Izzy, I use CCR pronouns. And I'm Kit, I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall-related things, at Abbey Archives on Tumblr and Reddit. Yes, our Twitter is still up. No, we are not checking it. Honestly, with the way things like, are going... Like, I open it every so often just to make sure nobody has messaged us, but yeah. we're not posting. I'm really... I'm not checking it to respond to anybody except to direct them elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to talk to us or get in contact with us, message us on Tumblr, message us on Reddit, or you can email us at abbeyarchives abbeyarchives, uh, at gmail.com. The way Twitter's going is just like, yeesh. Yeah, it's not good. It's like, um, even though, like, the website is holding, like, Twitter itself is holding up better than I would have expected. It's the user base that's getting even, even worse. Like, good it's, lord. I mean, the website is also just fucking breaking. Half the time yeah. I try to do things on my own account, I'm just like, I don't know. Joe's dashboard this. wouldn't update for, like, a week on his main account. Yeah, it's doing shit like that. Posting is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. It's just, Twitter is, no. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, today we're reading the second half of the final book of Salamandastron, from chapters 37 to chapter 44. Uh, content warnings are death, war, you know, battle, everything to do with war and mm-hmm. the death that comes with it, and fighting, and trauma, and, like, bloodshed, all of that. Uh, suicide, entrapment, Siege warfare, enclosed spaces, Sanism, and poison. Um, I'm pretty sure that covers everything. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, everything to do with everything else is kind of... There's nothing in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, big birds? I don't know. They're not yeah. doing anything. <laughs> yeah. They're just there. <laughs> they're just kind of... They're chilling. Yeah. They're Lying to your elders. <laughs> Lying to your elders. Disrespect for an authority <laughs> figure. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, that's not a trigger. That's, that's not a trigger. That's a complaint. <laughs> that's just us being goofy. Um, everything before we started being goofy, that's all serious stuff. Like, yes, sorry. Thankfully, we're past the... Um... Big water... Oh my god, fuck off. <laughs> Am I wrong? You're Am not, wrong? but I was trying to say we're past the the plague, we're past the big disease. Yes. No yeah. more. Like, it gets kind of briefly brought up because, you know, we go back to the Abbey, but it's... Everybody's fine, mm-hmm. mostly. This is uh, heavy in a completely different way. Like, I am oh going to say at the start of this episode, this book has a very rough ending. Like, the ending is... Okay. The ending is soft, but to get there is very rough. I'm going to give Brian kudos on this one. Um, It's damn good. It is, let me, for anybody who knows me, like knows me, it is very difficult to make me cry. Right? I don't cry. I'm not somebody who cries a whole lot. I have to get to a certain point to cry. The end of this book made me cry three times. (laughs) Hmm. Honestly, there were a couple parts that almost got me, too. Yeah, like, I just started, like, choking up and crying, and it was just like, what the fuck? 
So, like, kudos to Brian there. It is mm-hmm. difficult to make me cry, and the end of this book makes me cry. And I think it's just because of the pacing. It's difficult to, like, stop and be able to sit with the emotions. Not in a bad way, it's just... It just, things happen, and I was reacting to them as they were happening, and that was crying. It wasn't, like, big, ugly crying. It was just, you know, some crying, but still. So, we open on Salamandastrin. Uh, the only food left, like, we're in that big, great hall where they do their eating with the big table. The only food left is three gnarled apples and a beaker of water. And of the long patrol, a full regiment of 32 remain. And let me let me just say, Earthstripe is fucking pissed. He's angry. His hair is in a bad place. Yeah, it's it's the, the Kirby mean Kirby's fucking pissed. Yeah. Uh, a glowering Earthstripe orders that Pennybright and the two other youngest hairs are to get a sip and an apple each. Like, they share the beaker of water and they each get an apple. One she apple. starts to protest, but Bart Thistledown stops her. There is no stopping Earthstripe when he's in this kind of mood. Like, this is a dangerous mood for him. It's better to do what he says than to try and argue with him. Um, because, as we know, badgers, when they get angry, go into, like, that battle rage, you mm-hmm. know. And he's fucking pissed. And he's not like the he's angry that there's vermin like or like that they're trapped inside the mountain. But the real reason he's angry is because of his hairs. Again, this like loops back to what happens to the younger hairs who died from poison. Yeah. This isn't fair to them. Like he no. knew like they knew, he knew the lives they were signing up for, a life of battle. Not like this. this and the youngest not... hairs shouldn't be at this point. Mm-hmm. So he's because that's angry for the... them. Yeah, because that's the thing. The hairs that are left beyond, like, our, like, Oxa, like, beyond uh, Bart Thistledown and a few of the other older hairs, a lot of these hairs that are left from, like, just kind of context clues, these are the younger hairs. These are the ones who are still in training. The ones who are still learning. The ones who haven't been through battles. The ones who haven't gotten to the point where they, they, you know die of old age or die in an honorable battle i'd rather Mm. die in a battle like they're still getting to that point you know right they're They're, still learning they're still learning they're still very young we get a lot of moments throughout this back back part of the book where we see penny bright and the two other young hares just having the worst time yeah trembling (laughs) terrified they sh- they struggle through this and like from what i can tell of the other hairs like they're trained all, all the hairs are trained but they're still much younger because the ones that knew what they were doing were the ones that were sent out first oh that's my phone alarm shush <laughs> i got it started now and not later uh-huh so uh penny bright does as she's told uh earthstripe says that oxeye and sapwood are gone he couldn't see how, but there'd been too many vermin for even great old veterans like them to survive. And he has a fit of rage then at being starved and cornered in his own mountain. Like he he slams his paw on the table and then like to punctuate his words, slams his paw each time he speaks. 
on this very, like, thick table. Honestly, I expected there to be, like, and then the table cracked under his paw. That doesn't happen, but I expected it. Because mm-hmm. he was hitting it that hard. And he he leaves the hairs shocked to silence, storming out of the room. And it's it's a lot. Like, the hairs are just, oh, God. Yeah. You know? And Bart, uh, like, Bart it definitely steps up for the latter half of this book, Bart Thistledown. He does. Because he's like, well, I'm glad I'm not a blue-eyed weasel, chaps. Yes, indeed. I had a note about this a little bit later on because that's when I kind of noticed it. But mm-hmm. I, I know in the, like, a couple parts ago, I said something about Bart being kind of like a snooty aristocratic type. Like, I didn't really like him. Because that's what he's described I take as, that yeah. back. I take it back. Bart acts the way that he thinks is required in the moment for the Mm -hmm. people around him. Mm -hmm. At the time when he was being very aristocratic and snooty, the people around him needed that, like, confidence, that coolness, right? Yeah. This latter half of the book, for the younger hairs, he's not necessarily being goofy, but he's being very chipper. Very, like, uh, uh, like, uh, buck, like, buck up, uh, like, keep your chin up, like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very, very much like we stiff can't let this lip. get us down. Yeah, stiff up our lip. We have to keep going. Like he's very much making sure that he, as probably one of the highest in command at this moment, being like, if I show any weakness, we're gonna crumble. Mm-hmm. You know. And so, like, I take back what I said before. Like, I know I said uh, I wasn't t- particularly fond of Bart. I'm, I fucking love Bart. <laughs> Yeah, he he steps up in a big way. He does. And Uh, I I liked him even back when he was kind of snooty. Like, there is a way to write snooty characters Yes, like, he's a well-written character. I think what I was chafing against was just, like, oh, this is a character, if he talks for more than, like, five minutes, I'd hate him. Which is what I was getting at. But now it's like, no, no, no. He's not actually like that. (laughs) He is what he needs to be in the moment. Which is a very adult slash older sibling thing to do. Yeah. I say as an older sibling and an adult. <laughs> so we cut to the crater top. Uh, Penny Bright shares the apple, uh, like shares the, the three apples with Lingfer and Barful. Maybe it's supposed to be a Barful. All three complain of their hunger and speak of food they'd rather be eating. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be Barfly. Like, it might be, but there's no accent on it. True. And which is why I put in all caps, Why did your parents hate you? I googled it to see if it was like a plant, because a lot of these have been plants so far, and I didn't mm-hmm. find anything plant-related. I did find a very disturbing urban dictionary definition that I'm not going to repeat. Thank you. Um, But apparently, in Redwall, there are two barfels. There's this one, and then there is a Dibbon who is just named. There's nothing else beyond this Dibbon just being named. We don't even know a gender. Yeah. In the Long Patrol, there's a there's a Barful in the Long Patrol. I mean, so I'm, fun fact: there's two of them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've already seen repeats of Vermin names by now too. Yes, so, which probably. again, I I'm haven't not, been keeping track of them. I'm not gonna harp on Brian for nope. naming characters is hard. It is. Yeah. Um, the fact that we haven't gotten a repeat hair name is honestly a miracle. <laughs> uh, so 
they're the the three these three they're basically like teenagers are just chatting and they they like they gulp down the water but they take their time with eating the apple like they're taking like slow like bites they're taking care to like chew it and before like they swallow it they even like they nibble on like the stems of the apples as they're talking because like this is all of the food that they have yeah and they don't want to waste the sacrifice that the adults have given them. They're 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 complaining, uh, then, but they're grateful at the same time. Like yeah. they know what this means. They even have a moment where they're like, "We should stop talking about food." <laughs> yeah, it only makes you even worse hungry than you are now. And then, <laughs> up over the lip of the crater comes a sand-covered and much abused oxi. I'm just imagining the scene from The Land Before Time when, like, the kids all come out of the tar pit covered in tar and Sarah's going, ah! (laughs) Yeah. And he's offering these kids pears because they, like, complained about the apples a little bit. And they just fucking freak out. They scream and they run. Uh, Because Oxai, like, kind of looks down at himself and he's like, yeah, you know what? I would probably be terrified if I saw me right now, too. Because he's just covered in sand. Like, he just looks like a ghost, almost. Mm. He looks like a monster. Horrifying. It is a hilarious moment after this little bit of heaviness. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, this book in particular, Brian has been very good at balancing those heavy moments with the comedy. Uh, there's been a couple spots where it's been a little rough, but for the most part, especially with the hairs, who we know are are the comedic relief a lot of the time, that balance of heaviness with comedy has been very good. Right. And, like, I know this is my note for a little later, but we might as well say it now. This is also kind of Brian pointing out how sometimes death is random. Yeah. Sometimes you think you're a goner, but then... Something you say a little bit later. That's literally your next note. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant. Um, Because I figured like it's just a line down. I might as well mention it now. Um, Because like characters who like I thought would survive from Brian's usual pattern die, and characters who I'm like, oh well, he's going to heroically sacrifice them, live. Like he definitely does. He he had something going on this book, and I appreciate whatever it was. Yeah, I, like I think I said before, like I really liked how Mariel was written, and that's definitely where he hit his stride. I think this is the better written book. Especially the ending. Oh my god. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, so we learned Aksai survived quite by accident. Well, fighting the horde, he had slipped, like, he had gotten, like, a spear. He took out, like, three of them. He had slipped and fallen into the water. And he's telling this story to the other hares, like, down in the mess hall area. And he's just, like, basically, he just miraculously learned how to swim then and there. Like, he never knew how to swim before. But he just goes under the water, swims like a fish. And he swims as far as he can on, uh, until he can't breathe, comes up for air and then just keeps doing that until he is out of sight there's something Uh, to be said about desperation instincts and taking your only chance yep uh once he was able to get back on land he rolled because he's sopping wet he rolls in the sand for camouflage 
forages as much food and like fresh water as possible and then marched the fuck back home. Uh, he asks where Earthstripe is and Bart points upward. He's very likely in his forge because he is just pissed. And mm -hmm. typically when badgers are fucking pissed, they go to their forge and they beat shit up. <laughs> it's definitely one of the healthier coping mechanisms in the series. Honestly, yes. It is actually very productive to do something like that. Or at least partially. The other, you have to pair it with talking as well. Like, you mm -hmm. should talk to people while also working out that anger and aggression in a healthy and productive way that doesn't harm yourself or other people. If you don't talk about it, that does, it, you're not getting better. <laughs> you're not, you're not, like, finding closure for those feelings, which honestly I think is a big reason why the badgers have that weird like battle rage beyond mm -hmm. you know bullshit magic mm -hmm. it's they don't talk about their feelings no feelings Which... are for softer creatures god so oxai you know it, bart tells oxai that he better go and report to earthstripe because it might quell his rage to see that at least one of his most senior hairs and closest friends is still alive and, you know, Oxide does exactly that. He goes, he, like, pokes his head into the forge and is like, I'm, I'm reporting for duty, Sai. I'm not dead. My death was, uh, uh, greatly exaggerated. Uh, but the forge is empty and cold. <laughs> and there is an open window. <laughs> I, I feel bad because this next scene is, it's strangely comedic. Like, it's serious. It's a serious scene. But it's also portrayed as just like, like if this was a kid's cartoon, this would be like where you'd hear kind of the wacky music start playing and, it, and him just like being like, oh boy, okay, here we go. <laughs> I think it's a, written a little bit comedically because it's definitely the thing where like we all know this yeah. is a horrible idea. Uh-huh. Um, because Oxide looks outside and he sighs. Earthstripe, well in his rage, is barreling down the sand in full armor and with his great spear bellowing out a challenge for Farago and his son for one-on-one -on -one combat, one-on-two combat technically, but you know. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how did he get the armor on without help? How did he get through the window? <laughs> the power of anger. <laughs> have you ever just been so angry that you were able to do something that you're like, I have never done that before? I, I don't think I've ever been that angry. I have. Um, and I think some of that for me is like ADHD and autism means that a lot of my, I have emotional dysregulation. So when I get mm. angry, I get, it can be the smallest thing and I get fucking pissed. Meanwhile, I'm kind of the opposite of that. Like, I would definitely say I'm a person who has very mellow emotions overall. You are very mellow. Yeah. Um, which is not a bad thing. It's for oh. me, it's the ADHD emotional dysregulation means that like small things can set off me being angry or frustrated mm -hmm. really easily. A lot of the times I will complain about being at work and being angry because people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's usually little shit. Like they're not, my cart at work is fully labeled with the process of where everything should go and people still ignore it. And that pisses me off. That's Fair. Instead of, like, for people who are neurotypical, that would just be 
mildly frustrating and they would be like, hey, can you please make sure you put this in the right spot? For me, I get fucking pissed and I have to take 20 minutes to like stop being pissed before I can say anything. And by that point, the person's fucked off. Okay. You know, I I will like to say something else though. It's like, I do say my emotions are more mellow, but on the flip side of that, I learned to be passive aggressive. (laughs) Where for me, if there's something I don't like, I will change it and I will continue to change it until I win. And this was something that like, it happens more often to me at work because like the guys will put something where I don't want it because it's a pain for me to clean. And I know they don't need this object where they put it. So I will put it back where I want it to be. And I will do this often enough until they give up and leave it where I want it to be. <laughs> listen if it works it works mm-hmm. um especially if they don't listen if you ask well most of the uh, time they're not there for me to ask them because i come in after they're done with work i think the only time i'll ever really get after the guys is like the one time uh oh uh, tmi for bathroom business i am a janitor so i have to clean bathroom stuff um the one time somebody was spitting sunflower seeds in the men's urinal oh i remember that I remember when you were complaining about that. Uh-huh. I left a note on the urinal and I made a mention to the boss like, hey, can you tell them to not? The urinal is not a toilet. The seeds don't flush down. I have to fish them out. And that stopped like the next day. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes like being angry can make me do things that's like I've never been able to do before. Usually it involves moving things. Which is what, uh, pre- you know, coincidentally, the badgers end up doing a lot of the time. Yes. <laughs> so, because eh, that's just how it is. That's how I, I don't understand the full psychological shit with it. I know there's some stuff about it, but I'm... I don't want to read that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Farago has been prepping to skin the hanged body of the surviving guard who'd failed to keep the hairs uh, when he hears Earthstripe coming. Uh, hastily, he issues orders for an ambush, archers and spear beasts. Kutch is, of course, rebellious as usual, sour that the Horde had ignored his victories to fall back under his father's control. Having none of it, though, Farago drags his son down ordering him to do as he's told. He'd killed the Badger Lord of the South, and he can kill this one, too. Basically, he's like, I'm gonna basically use the same method I used to kill the other Badger. Mm-hmm. We've got this. We just need to do it right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's... Uh, da, 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 da. Here we go. Crab eyes, station archers in the rocks ahead of where we fight, or around where we fight. Bad Tooth, get 40 spear beasts and be ready to strike whenever you see the badger's back. Klitsch, come with me and do as I say. Klitsch was in a foul mood. He had been responsible for the victories they had won so far, but because of his youth and because of his youth, the army was more inclined to obey Farago. Accordingly, his father had swiftly assumed positions as master of the horde. Klitsch sat sullenly on the rock, curling his lip at Farago. Another one of your cockeyed plans. It'll end in disaster like all your others. You'll see. The assassin dragged his son bodily from the rock and shook him. Young fool, you don't know everything. I'm going to set up an ambush for the badger. Just watch me and do as I tell you. This will work. I killed the badger lord of all the southwest lands and his wife the same way. Seasons before you were ever born. 
Now get yourself a weapon and follow me. Just, yeah. He's like, no, you listen today. Yeah, and this is another look at the fact that, like, Farago doesn't do honor culture. Mm -mm. He is honorless. He does not care. Um, In the mountain, uh, windows are opened as the hares watch in dismay. Badoxai has command while Earthstripe is gone, and he knows this is between the rulers of the two forces. They cannot interfere in this, and neither- And specifically, he says, and neither will the vermin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they, they absolutely will interfere. They, they have not learned anything! <laughs> uh, it's extremely frustrating the... at this point. Do you want to read what you put as your, your yeah. note for that spot? Yeah. Because, like, the irritation is, is that, like, they do live in this honor culture. But this is also Oxai keeping the other, like, the others safe. Like, the hares, they've had to watch so many of their other comrades die. And Oxai is not going to lead a suicide charge. They have to keep the mountain safe, whether their badger lord is doing something stupid or not. Yeah. Like, if they went out now, it would be a death charge. They would not stand a chance. Yeah. It is, It is like, the hares only do those, like, suicide, like, gambits when there is no other option. Mm-hmm. Like, when they we will saw exhaust. them. Yes. Yeah. Rescuing, in Mariel, rescuing the, the captives. And even then, even then, I still think they were maybe being a little too hasty to jump into that suicide is the only option yeah i think that some of the writing on that one was a little weak um but so in a flat circle of sand surrounded by boulders the now joyful earth stripe issues his challenge this is a badger's element is is combat and he'd been wanting this from the start a good clean battle if he loses farago gets the mountain as long as he lets his hairs live if he wins, the whole army marches itself back south, and Farago agrees. A duel to the death is announced, and the fight begins. And it's just, my other note is just, like, rattles Earthstripe. Like, he does not do honor culture. This weasel does not do honor culture. Like, I've mentioned before, I am, like, an armchair historian. I, I love to listen to history podcasts and stuff when I am you know, at work or, you know, not in call or, or like doing chores. And honor culture was an amazingly strong thing when it was in its environment. But when something from outside that honor culture environment comes in, when someone who does not have the same concept of honor or just doesn't care appears, your honor culture falls apart. All of your rules fall apart. Whenever someone who is outside of your set of rules appears, you're not equipped to handle them. Like we've seen time and time again throughout history where cultures that have developed, that have gotten so comfortable and rich that they develop that sense of honor are taken down by younger cultures or cultures that were more, I don't know, I don't want to use the term wild, but they didn't Isn't give in to the comforts of, of how... civilization. Isn't that part of how um, the colonies won against yep. the British? Yes, is because indeed. the British were doing a lot of like regimented, mm-hmm. lined up. Mm-hmm. Like that's how they did. And the the yep. colonies people they weren't trained soldiers. They were like 
farmers common and, lay people yeah. who were just trying to fight and That's, they didn't yeah. use those same tactics that is exactly how the colonies beat britain actually because that was partially what i was thinking of you also see that in other european as the standard of warfare started to change you would have situations like this like they call them the red coats because they you go to war and you're wearing a bright red coat that says shoot me yeah you line up in a nice neat row that says shoot me and then what happens you get a bunch of farmers pop up blast you with their inaccurate guns but there's enough of them to make it a, a difference and then they disappear into the woods they don't stand to stay and fight this also happened with um the british when they would go like for there were several times throughout british history where they would develop a, st a style of battle and then someone would come along who did not uh, you know like assigned to that type of battle and they would kick their ass um like mm -hmm. boudica lost to the romans because of this because in her era you know she was winning when she was doing guerrilla tactics she was winning she was scaring the snot out of the romans but then the romans lured her into an honorable honorable battle into how battle should be each force lines up and then goes after each other and guess what the romans won because they were stronger and better and had more people and if she had continued to do the guerrilla tactics she probably could have run them out but she fell victim to honor and thus became a legend but legends don't live long lives you know yeah <sighs> Virago is an honorless cur yes uh so we get a hard cut to redwall and everyone is enjoying an easy morning outside McPherson naps nearby, and the adults all muse at the wonderful giant bird. Like, he's Talk picked out a birch log that is his favorite perch. Like, he's so comfortable here now. Yeah. He's just, like, he's enjoying, like, the warmth of the season that he doesn't get up in his icy peaks. And he's just napping in the warmth. Uh, so the talk turns to the missing Samkin and Arula and how they miss them. Fergal suggests that they maybe settled down on their own somewhere and is scolded by Nasturtium. Hey, Those two least, always... At least you know what? Fergal supports different species marriage. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Those two had always been at the Abbey since they'd been little orphans. Damn, Martin really likes orphans, huh? <laughs> I mean, he was one himself, so it makes sense. Yeah. He's allowed uh... to have bias. Yeah, and surely one day they'd march right back through the front gate. Uh, Faith uh, Spinney asks about Thrug, too. What's happened to him? Dumble comforts her. Mr. Thrug is very brave and strong. And Formold, of course, uh, rolls Dumble down a hill. <laughs> and hopes that Samkin and Arula are at least safe. Like, Dumble sasses them a little bit. And Formal's like, okay, poof, just like knocks him over with one paw and Dumble goes tumbling down the hill. <laughs> yeah. Dum Dumble is just a cheeky, cheeky lad. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, uh, they're anything but. Uh, while Sam Samkin, Arula, and everybody else are not in immediate danger, the whole Goosome lot and the misfit they picked up are pelting towards the sea and Salamandrastron on a stream. Like, they're just barreling down the south stream, like, just headed straight there. Mm -hmm. uh, the kids had all taken the night to swap life stories, and as it, as it works when you're young, 
they're the best of friends now. Like just the flashbacks of summer camp where you guys would like, you'd meet this kid and you'd become best friends for that week. And it's like, yeah, we're totally going to see each other again. Here's my address. Like this was back again. You got to remember for me and Izzy, this was back before the internet was really a thing. Like even back in high school when internet was more popular, I still didn't exchange like emails with kids. We would still exchange addresses so we could write each other. Or like Um, home phone numbers. uh Uh-huh. And then you never see him again. Yeah. You know. Or in my case, in my case, uh, one gal you met at church camp several years ago calls you and breaks down and she's like, I had no one else to call. And it's like, okay. (laughs) So then you spend an hour comforting her and then never hear from her again. Oh, that wasn't, I mean, sometimes it happens. Yeah. Sometimes things like that happen. So yeah, that, that's just a thing that happens. Like, ki- it's so easy for kids to become, like, really good friends like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still do that with some people where it's like, you know, there's a point where it's just, you know, you click. And it's almost as if these children are destined to become friends. You know? Uh, Samkin and Arula are determined to help rescue Salamanderstrand. Um, like, they, they, they are not prone to faint-heartedness is, I think, how the book puts it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It, it, It's a case... Here we go. Previous night. Okay. The previous night had been spent swapping life stories with their new friends, so each now knew all there was to know about the other. Semkin and Arula felt duty-bound to help free Salamandistron and the Mossflower country of Vermin. Faint-heartedness was not their strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> they are just like, yeah, no, nah, we're gonna do this. Uh-huh. Fuck it up. Um, we got the sword. The day... We can do this. Yeah. The day passes spent entirely on the boats. Food is made and passed out, and salve is made for blistered paddling paws, and all five boats sing a war song as they go. Okay, it was my turn to go down a Google rabbit hole here, because part of the salve... That they make for Salve? 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 Mario Mario. Yeah. Part of it was um, mentioned that they used China clay. And I'm like, all right, what is China clay? So I Googled it. And it is a mineral called kaolinite. 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 And it's used in like loads of different stuff. Like apparently like most of our modern world is built using a little bit of this stuff. Thankfully it's very common, but you know, it's, it's something like you never realize how important it is until you read about it in here. But the medicinal property that it has is speeding and aiding in the clotting of blood. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So that definitely would help with blisters Mm because Blisters is your your body making those, like, white blood cells that are supposed to, like, cause scabbing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it would definitely help with that. Uh, Do you want to read the war song? Yes, I do. The Guasam shrews are off to war, with our rapiers close to paw. Woe to him who will not go to fight the vermin foe. Log-a-log, log-a-log, log-a-log. Guasam shrews must live or die. Free beneath the open sky. Battle on while we have breath with no fear of death. Log-a-log, log-a-log, log-a-log. 
I need somebody to like take all the songs that are in the Redwall books yeah. and like score them for us. Like I'm a little sad that this didn't like it must have happened for the Redwall series. I'm sure somebody must have scored some of these songs cuz like um both the uh Dragon Rise of Pern series and the Valdemar series, both of them have actual CDs of the songs written for their series. Like people have scored and sung the songs written in the books. Redwall music. Redwall songs from CD. Is that from the TV show or? Hold on. Hello, Google. Not Google. Hello, Wiki. Oh! There is a CD, Songs from oh. Redwall, 20 Years of Redwall Music. It was released in 2007, and it contains selected songs from the Redwall audiobooks. Ah. So there's some of them. <laughs> well, that answers that question. Because I thought yeah. it would be very odd if there wasn't any. Oh, it includes the Song of the River from Salamander Strong. Ooh. Yeah. Let's see. What else has it got in here? And the paddling song, Pole Boy's Pole, uh, Martin, which could be instrumental. It could be something Nasturtium said. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. There's a lot on here. This is a long list. Oh, there's a lot from Outcast of Redwall. Oh. <laughs> Your favorite. Yeah, I'm going to have to buy this. Um, <laughs> is it on YouTube? Uh, I think so. Hold on. Um, let me go to YouTube and type it in and we will see. Songs from Redwall, 20 years of music. Uh, there is a playlist of 128 videos. Oh. Uh, I don't know if that's specifically the the uh, CD. Probably not. Uh, no, it looks like some of it is. Uh, some of it is the CD. Some of it is the Redwall Abbey games. Nope, nope. That is the name of a song. Never mind. Yeah, no. This looks like uh, audiobook music, um, and maybe some that people have scored. Otherwise, I'm sure there's plenty of fan scores out there probably um if our listeners have any of their favorites that they would like to send us please do we would love to listen to them because i want to know how some of these things sound mm -hmm. because i i want it gimme there's a lot of songs from rackety tam in here and tagarung <laughs> as well tagarung another one of my favorites can't wait to get yeah. to that one uh, there's there's a good decent amount of these mm -hmm. hell yeah all right anyway we cut back to the dueling leaders and the fight is short but fierce uh earthstripe overpowers the two and a much cowed glitch calls for the ambush to be sprung basically like Farago and Klitsch try to actually fight Earthstripe. Very shortly um, they try. And part of me was like, I would have liked to have heard more banter 
Because, like, so far in other fights and things, like, Farrago has used his voice as much as his knives. But, um, at this With point, Earth like, Stripe I'm sure... With at this point? Yeah, uh-huh, no. <laughs> he knows that he won't get anywhere with Earthstripe by banter. But I also imagine, like, that scene from Megamind. It's like, and now we exchange witty banter. And the other guy just comes after. <sighs> he's like, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> oh, you're a you're a villain, all right. Just not a super one. Oh yeah, what's the difference? Presentation. Oh, mine is an underrated movie. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Earthstream basically just punches Klitsch, and Klitsch slams into a boulder, and it's just immediately like, yeah, no, fuck this. Like, I'd be shocked if he didn't suffer some kind of internal damage from this, by the way. The way he's described is, like, he has completely lost, like, he's whimpering. He is reduced to, like, whimpering and gasping for breath. He's in that much pain. Farago is, like, screeching for for Klitsch to get back on the field and help, but Klitsch is, like, absolutely the fuck not. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, which is when he calls for the ambush to be sprung. Uh, Earthstripe mocks them, uh, but he is now fully in his berserker state. He carries on the fight without hesitation. Whoever steps in his way is slain. And once, twice, thrice, he is pushed down by sheer numbers. And once, twice, thrice, he rises again, killing with tooth and claw. Like, he goes down under just this horde of vermin, and just bursts out of them like a geyser multiple times. Like, I'm just imagining, it's also described that he's losing armor as this happens. Like, each time he goes down and comes back up, he's lost more armor. Um, Because it's being, like, torn off or, like, cut off and... And I just imagine, like, a Zelda boss. Because, you know, every time you go fight a Zelda boss, it's three times it loses more armor, and then you can really start wailing on it. Yeah. Also, rule of threes. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the... And as it seems like he's about to fall for the final time, the hares rush into his rescue. They get, like, 20 hares have rushed in to help. They get him moving, and Oxide keeps their rear defended against the enraged weasel pair, who bully their men into fighting. Uh, they use arrows to keep the vermin back, but are quickly running out. Oxide sends Bart to go open the ground entrance, because they're never going to get Earthstripe back through anything else. They're not going to get him back through a window. Mm-hmm. What Oxide does is he splits his regiment into three, and basically just has them on a rotation to fire arrows. So, like, one group fires, falls back, the next group goes forward, fires, falls back. Like, they reload as they fall back, etc. Which is a useful tactic. Yep. Uh, But it's it can only do so much because they don't have that many arrows on Mm -hmm. them. And the horde is numerous. Like, way more than them still. Because, like, I think it's it's said at this point that they still have, like, a hundred score, at least, I think is the implication. So 100 against 32 is, yeah. Yeah. That's numbies. Yeah. And numbers do count. Yeah. Farago's busy driving the horde ahead of him. So it's Klitsch who sees the great door opening and sends one of his minions to alert the horde. Now's their chance to take the mountain, which is very smart. Mm -hmm. Because they're not going to get that door closed in time. Uh, As the hares push the badger lord along, he wakes up 
just enough to try and turn back to the fight. Oxide tries to get him to stop, but is saved the trouble by Earthstripe just passing out cold right on the threshold. Like, he, uh, he just he's, plants his hands, he's just like, wait, no, I want to fight, I can still fight. <laughs> and then he just passes out, and Oxide has the foresight to tip him forward into the mountain, <laughs> where he is hurriedly carried to his bed, which is in the forge. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the opening can't be resealed quickly without Earthstripe. Because they tipped the stones that were blocking the entrance out mm-hmm. in order to open it. Because that was the fastest way to do it. All the Harris can do is fire arrows and fight to keep the horde back. Farago senses his triumph is near. And I like Brian setting this up. Like, this book, the plot is tight. Like, I joked earlier that, yeah, we did see our first couple of Deus Exes in a while. But I, I will take that, like, an early Deus Ex for a good, tight ending, like we're yeah. getting here. Because yeah. this is, it's not contrived. It's not exactly, like, the the villains pulling one of their usual tricks. This is Earthstripe's recklessness and bloodlust coming around to bite him quite literally in the ass. Yeah. Or I guess in the butt. so now we cut to the shrew log boats have reached the sea sure enough and like we are well and truly in the book's climax all the plots are coming together laddies (laughs) it's all coming together it's all coming together arula asks if it's another great lake but pickle corrects her it's the sea and they can see salamandestrin from the stream they set out to follow the tide to the mountain. Not long after they start, though, they come across the drifting sap. I called it! I called Which it! Which kit called. I told you! I told you this is what would happen. <laughs> he is hauled aboard and hugged by his two friends. Pickle, like, play boxes at him and is soundly cuffed back. Uh... Sapwood asks about Earthwhite, and Mara tells him it's too much to explain tonight. Food and rest are the thing they need right now. Lomba, though, does not let him get rest. She grills him for information and then holds a conference with Mara, Earthwhite, Logalog, and Alpho. And I had a thought at this moment where I was like, what if Earthwhite had become the Redwall Badger and Mara became Lord of the Mountain? And I would really uh, enjoy that cuz like there's almost like there's almost a few hints early on that that might be where this was headed because of how Earthwhite is described as being like he's very gentle he doesn't like fighting he's you know he's a he's a gentle soul um but i think the implication is that's only because he has been sheltered for so long like he's been sheltered yeah. and he hasn't had a purpose but he hasn't had the proper like uh, he hasn't had a proper battle mm-hmm. to awaken that that the the badger blood in him, mm-hmm. but like the way that it was going is it was definitely like yes we were like oh Mara's going to become the the new guardian of Redwall because like that's how these stories work, mm-hmm. but there was definitely a lot of areas where it implied like no she is learning about fighting she is learning that she is good at it and that she might like fighting yeah. and Earth White doesn't like fighting it would have have been been... a nice subversion 
Yeah, it would have been interesting. Uh, send us your fanfiction of Earth White as the Guardian of Redwall and Mara as the Lord of Salamandashran, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. The mountain is in a sticky situation, so how fast can they get there? Logalog estimates that with paddlers, they could get there an hour before dawn. So she says, do it. No time is to be wasted. Because basically, Logalog is like, I mean, at this the pace we're going now, we'd get there, like, by morning. But if I have people paddle all night, we'll get there an hour before dawn. And Lonebud is just like, do it. We need to get there as soon as possible. So the boats press on through this quiet night. Back in the mountain, it has already been breached. The hares did their best, but they couldn't stop the vermin from entering. And uh, it, this is part of the writing formula, and I'm not complaining about it. But, you know, you have to have the, 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 the fortress, not the fortress, the fortress has to be breached. Otherwise, the yeah. ending wouldn't feel satisfying because then it's like all that tension all that like will they get in will they not it's just like it wouldn't have that payoff yeah if it fizzles out it doesn't have the same payoff mm -hmm. as if they do get in and then it's a very harrowing battle you know uh it just isn't narratively satisfying mm -hmm. now there are ways you can make that narratively satisfying and again like some of the other things he does in this book sometimes real life is not Nar narratively satisfying. Yeah. Earthstripe is restrained to his bed. They have tied him down with his bandages uh, as they, so that they can doctor his wounds and keep him from trying to go back out and fight. Because mm -hmm. he's uh, like, he's muttering and feverish and he wants to get back yeah. into the fight. But they're like, no, he, no, no. They're like, no, you have to, you need to rest, sir. And he's like, but I can fight. And they're like, no, you can't. You gotta give it time to heal, okay? Uh, meanwhile, the hares have switched to guerrilla tactics, popping up at opportunistic moments to kill vermin and then flee. And I made a goofy comment, like, they'll get along beautifully with the shrews at this rate. We already know they're gonna yeah. get along with the shrews. Oh, absolutely. That's just how it is. Um, Oxi has full command. Now... Uh, now using Earthstripe's forge and room as his command center because it is the middle level. It's basically the center of the mountain. It is very easy to command from there mm -hmm. because you can send people out into the honeycomb of passages that are in the lower levels of the mountain. The literal rabbit's warren or hare's warren. Yep. Uh, he knows, though, that it is hopeless. None of what he's doing can stop the horde now that they're in. There's too many of them. A battered Bart, though, says, what's better, dying of old age or battle? Old age! Axai <laughs> yeah. admits that he would rather die in battle and admires Bart's coolness, but Bart says that he is just, like, shaking like jelly on the inside. Just don't tell the Lord. Said Lord is suffering from fever dreams, echoes of his past once more haunting him. Like, he's muttering about, like, his mother and father, the medallion, his brother, the snow, the blue-eyed weasel. He is just, he is in it. Mm -hmm. He is having a bad fucking time. Fevers will do that to you. And blood loss, too. Yep. Because he's uh, not doing so hot. Nope. At, like... 
he is just, he's losing a lot of blood. Outside, Farago and his son are having a rare moment of cooperation. Farago will take a hundred vermin to the crater top while Klitsch leads from below. So they definitely have more than a hundred vermin. Okay. Farago is just taking a hundred of that's, them with him. That's where I got the hundred number from, though. Yeah. Uh, he warns his son to carry on fighting. No worrying about badger treasure for now. He'll do it once his horde have done their job. Klitsch challenges his claim to the horde, and Farago says, Yes, it's his, as long as he's alive. Klitsch agrees to that. As long as he's alive, the horde belongs to Farago. Bounding off, though, uh, after he agrees, he bounds off to carry on with his part of the plan. And I'm over here like, damn it, Brian, let them be family. Right. Just let them be family. No, they cannot be family. Thankfully, though, like, we don't get a bad thing to happen between them. Yeah, we don't get, like, another like, chicken hound and his mother situation where, yeah. like, she dies and he's just like, well, whatever. Because, like, to be fair to... And they don't kill each other. Right. It's just, like... Other things happen. Yeah. <laughs> and they never actually, like... Klitsch never learns that his father dies. Nope. And his father doesn't learn that Klitsch dies. For obvious reasons, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, the hour before dawn sees the shrewboats arrive at the shore of Salamandastron. It's easy. It's eerily quiet on the deserted beach. They figure, though, that they might, like, they figure because of this quiet that they may have arrived too late. Lonebud takes over, just immediately barking orders and organizing who is doing what, and they all snap too. Earthwhite, Samkin, and Arula go with Alpho and, like, Alpho's uh, shrews mm-hmm. to see what's up with the mountain. And Pickle is to serve as a runner to report. Like, he's gonna go, see what's up, and then run back because he is the fastest. He is a hare. And, like, I want a book about Lombud. Like, this this badger maiden who is a warrior, she knows tactics. She's smart. She's able to immediately take command of all these disparate, like... Hair, a hair, a shrew, blah, blah, hairs, shrews, moles, badgers, a squirrel. She's able to take all of their strengths, all of their knowledge. Oh, actually, two squirrels. But she's able to coordinate all this. And it's like, where did you learn all this, ma'am? What was the Southlands like before? Apparently you know, terrible. Yeah, because she's just so easily able the to. The South, leap into the it. North, the Ocean. Damn, everything bad. Everything bad except for Mossflower. If you don't live in Mossflower, you clearly live in. <laughs> in a bad place it's it's like it's like out here it's like when people talk about like california they talk about it like it's some horrible evil place where you'll get like shot by a gangster the minute you step foot all across the street state border or something see it's it's different around here a lot of people will talk about like oh california is where you go if you want to like live safely or like have a career Mm -hmm. uh moving like coming to the south like everything's just terrible Mm -hmm. etc etc and it's just like yeah, but the people in California are trying to move here, and they're making it worse. <laughs> That's what we get to, too. Yeah, they're like, oh, the Californians it. moving in and changing things. Quit. They, they're freezing rent. <laughs> they're causing problems, because they don't understand anything about why people are in the situations they're in. I just, uh, I hate them. Um, I don't hate you. I hate the people who are doing that bullshit it's okay we didn't like them even back in california (laughs) yeah because they suck they do they're awful they're the worst kind of like white people Uh (laughs) because they're the they're like subtly racist (laughs) 
they hide it and they're like oh no it's fine and it's like it's not shut the fuck up leave us alone anyway weapons at the ready alpha's group which we're calling it alpha's group it's really sam kim's group yeah but they're alpha's shrews so yeah uh, they head for the mountain. They find the opened fissure and Pickle groans. Cause he... Sam Kim warns... Yeah, he knows, oh, they've gotten in. Mm-hmm. We're too late. Sam Kim warns for silence. And the stoat Badtooth is seen dragging himself out with a wounded paw. He's just snatched by the throat by Earth White, who lifts him up. Uh, to the group, and Sam Kim holds the blade to Badtooth's neck and tells him to report what's happening in the mountain. Like, this poor stoat. <laughs> like, you know that scene in Zootopia where, like, the polar bear just, like, grabs Nick and he's like, that's enough. Yep. Like, I just imagine, like, that face of, like, the face all scrunched up as he's grabbed him to the throat. <laughs> Anytime anybody grabs Daffy Duck or Bugs Bunny around the neck. Yes. <laughs> or, like, Tom from Tom and Jerry, like, anytime the bulldog grabs yes. him around the neck to throw him out of the yard. <laughs> it's that same vibe. Yes. <laughs> um, Bonus if there's a squeaky toy sound effect. Yep. Uh, Badtooth says that the horde is trying to take the mountain. When asked where Klitsch and Farago are, he says Klitsch is fighting too, but he hasn't seen Farago since they made it into the mountain. With his info given, he is clubbed unconscious by Earth White. <laughs> and, like, like, poor Earth White. Like, he's he's not even happy having to do this. He's like, he just doesn't know what to do with the weasel. He's like, a uh, 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 bonk. <laughs> uh, oh, what was it? The scene from The Princess Bride. Physic, could you jostle his memory? I think I jostled it too hard. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah. And, like, you made a mention of, like, um, stories in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you, um, wanna... you get you get stories of, like, great men in the Bible, especially, like, in the Old Testament. Like, men who can pull off these amazing feats of strength or leadership. And they're only great because the only violence they perpetrate is violence in defense. They never, like, initiate the violence. And, like, the minute, like, one of these great generals starts to initiate violence or starts to go out intentionally seeking fights, that's when they are toppled from their positions of power. That's when they are dethroned or lost uh, their their strength. Um, It's just... It's shown that, like, being strong, being powerful, and being necessarily violent is not a bad thing. It's when you start to crave it and hunt it down, that's the bad. That's when you have gone too far. And it's the same in stories from, like, other cultures, not just, like, uh, Christianity. Killing should only be done when it is necessary. Mercy should be shown when possible. Because people are still human. Right? Mm-hmm. They still deserve kindness. But if they are, you know, if it gets to the point where it's like they need to die or things are going to continue to get worse, or, you know, you're defending yourself and there's nothing else you can do, mm-hmm. that's when, you know, death. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they. 
Our, our little group decides to report to Lomba that they're going up the mountain to provide support, and if her group attacks from below, they can pull a pincer move on the vermin. And uh, it's just like, ah, yes. Turnabout is fair play. <laughs> yep. Alpha compliments Samkin and asks if this really is his first time doing any of this, and the young squirrel clips back that there is a first time for everything, matey. It's... Uh, they get to climbing, and Arula complains that she's only a mole. She hates high places, no. but she, she'll be a climbing beast. Let's see. Hang on. Where is it? Where is it? Uh... It's a very yeah. funny sentence. Let's see. Arula threw up her paws in resignation as she started the ascent. Burho! I don't like high places. Be not but emo. Boo her! Here goes on a climbing, young beast. <laughs> I, I don't like, blame her. She's not built for climbing. She's not. She is not. She got her stubby little mole mitts. They're not made for climbing. If I ever see a mole in a tree, I'm gonna know something has gone wrong. Yeah. Unless if they climbed up through the trunk, because the trunk is full of stuff. That's but true. you know, sometimes that does happen. Yeah, but if it's like a tree that isn't like that, I'm like, how did you get up there? Why are you? Up Who put there? you yeah. there? <laughs> did you get away from a hawk or something? Uh, Pickle, though, doesn't even have a chance to tell Lombard what's up. They have already started a charge uh, for the mountain. He sees them charge past as he's, like, he's stopped to catch his breath. Still game, though, he grabs a paddle and asks them to hold up, let him catch up. Like, this whole little sequence back and forth here is, like, this would be a really good little animated sequence. Like, like... Mm -hmm. Brian's timing of the back and forth between the serious fighting and these little teeny tiny quips of comedy. Like, this is like Legolas quipping with Gimli during the battle kind of comedy. You know, like yeah. keeping count of how many they've killed. You know, that still only counts as one, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's very... It's, I haven't watched Lord of the Rings in so long. Oh, Lord. I... I think the only movies I've seen the whole way through is like the original trilogy. And that's because I saw them in theaters with mom, like the year they See, came I out. I never and then... saw the original trilogy in theaters, but I did uh, watch them on TV a lot. Okay. They would come on TV. Uh, I was a little, when they first came out, I think I was a little bit young okay. for what they were. And my mom was like, I don't know if they're going to like these. <laughs> Well, but then, you know, when the Hobbit movies started coming out, mm-hmm. like movies started coming out, like me and my brothers were fucking into that shit because we grew up on that shit. I, I did get to see the original movies in theaters because mom loved them. Um, They're so good. And I feel bad because personally, I am neutral towards the Lord of the Rings. I don't dislike them but they're not something i will go out of my way to watch yeah Um, i do think those movies are a very unique set of movies mm -hmm. because i don't think we're ever gonna we will never get anything like them ever again no not something because of the way no because the way media has moved on and media production has moved on they're like you know they're trying to do like oh yeah more lord of the rings stuff but none of it is coming out like that the hobbit movies were good but they weren't the same you know there's like a quality to the original lord of the rings trilogy with like the way that they did the camera effects what they took from the books Mm -hmm. and like put into those movies like what they picked and chose to show that is just 
the people working on it, like, everything about it, like, you know the people working on it fucking loved what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's that love. we're never going to get that again. It's that kind of love that can take a mediocre movie and make it amazing. Like, as much as the Star Wars sequel trilogy is not good, but, like, especially the first two movies, you can see the sheer love put into everything. Like, the effort to put so much more practical effects in there, the choice they would make for the lighting and you know just the cinematography you could tell that that was made with so much love which is probably another reason that the rise of skywalker falls flat on his face because that love is not there anymore mm-hmm. it's like, like everyone with... around it has put the love in it but the actual director didn't have that love um, yeah and like there's you see that love like in the mandalorian a little bit oh but absolutely like in in uh book of boba fett you don't see it Mm-mm. Uh, but then in Andor, it's just fucking off the wall, mm-hmm. like or freaking Kenobi. I, I need to watch. It. Like yeah, I, I went Kenobi into, as well. I went into Kenobi need... with such low expectations. I did not have good expectations for it, and that's not me being cynical. It's just like it's an in between story. What can they do with it? Well, they went with it. <laughs> Everybody. So you know, I have a very complicated relationship with Star Wars mm-hmm. because of everything that George Lucas and Disney choose to be as people. Yeah, valid and fair. corporations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody has told me, like, you need to watch Andor. Yeah. If you watch nothing else from Star Wars for the rest of your life, watch Andor. And I'm like, damn, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna watch Andor, I guess. Yeah. It's like, but I, it's like, I struggle to watch stuff. So. For me, it's like, if you wanted to be like the Star Wars series that they put out for, it would be like the animated shorts, because uh, screw you, they're canon. I don't care if, 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 if they pulled a and log on it's canon okay i don't care what you say <laughs> um me over here with all of the like mandalorian like backstory yes. that's only in the books yes. just yelling it's like i don't care what you say disney it's canon <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's, it's like the animated shorts the mandalorian kenobi the original trilogy the prequels uh the first two of the sequel trilogy ignore the rise of skywalker it's not worth watching um you know, it's like, it's it's honestly the animated series, or not the animated, but the, the Disney Plus series, the shorts, where they actually have time to, like, develop stuff and have fun with the world. That is redeeming mm-hmm. it. And to loop this back to Redwall, um, <laughs> I feel like if Redwall ever did become, like, an animated series, it, it would have to be an animated Again. movie. Because... Um, Isn't the movie going to be, like, CGI? I mean, most kids' animated films are nowadays. They won't studios will not put out the money to do a 2d animated film which is bullshit they should it is or a hybrid fucking i saw some stuff like we apparently like from roy disney was like there were supposed to be three treasure planet movies and i'm like we could have had three there was supposed to be three movies and a tv show and the only record we have of the tv show was a pc game that much like the movie was not advertised a lot of people don't know that this pc game exists i didn't know a pc game existed a pc game exists and it is considered the canonical sequel to the movie where they actually introduce because you know how like um what would you call like the 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 aesthetic of this movie like treasure planet punk like that sailboat punk what would you call that sailpunk uh, it is definitely, it's not exactly steampunk, but it is definitely yeah. very, uh, solar punk. Yeah. So in the sequels, in the sequel game, 
they encounter an evil fleet of diesel punk ships. Oh, shit. Yeah. And everyone's like, hey, we think Silver might be involved with this. So, Jim, you need to come and, like, tell your dad to stop. And he's like, he's not my dad. And they're like, he's your dad. He's like, yeah, he's my dad. Okay, I'll tell him to stop. <laughs> um, he's basically your he's dad. basically you his dad. to tell him to stop. Um, but, like, there's other things. Like, obviously, it's not Silver in the end. But, you know, it's it's... Apparently, it wasn't a great game, but the story was very good. Is what I've heard from most reviews I've watched of it. Um, God. But, like, I do feel and like it... Redwall would be better as a, like, I feel like with Redwall, it would be good if you did Redwall as, like, a beginning movie and use the movie to launch into, like, a TV series or, like, you know, like, Netflix. Like, a movie or, or one of those, like, uh mini series that has like the longer episodes yeah like like they did i think a mini series would be better because we'd be able to get more time yeah. spent with it without it feeling like too much or too little or not enough mm-hmm. yeah because then we would get something really good out of it i've still seen nothing for the fucking Redwall movie well they're like it's... we're doing a Redwall movie where is it it's it's one of those series that they are going to promise to make a movie and they're going to promise to make this movie for 20 to 30 years and then we'll finally get one teaser trailer and then it's going to fall off the face of the earth again. Because, like, there is, like, yep. at least three book series that I have followed since I was a kid that have had promised movies since, like, the late 80s. And the only thing that has happened is they've gone into pre-production. Somebody with the higher-ups pissed off the directors or did something really heinous and the author said no and it got canceled. Because <laughs> the one that makes me cry Just the most... vaguely vaguely related i'm so glad that the peter s beagle owns the rights to the last yes he finally got them back it's so good it's very very good i'm very glad that that happened uh because fuck paramount trust us guys is that is that who owned it i don't remember but like trust us guys go read peter s beagle he is a phenomenal author who does not get nearly enough love in fact actually let me check something real quick like, if you liked the last Unicorn animated movie, you really need to read the book because the book yeah. is so fuck. Like, let me tell you, yes, there are differences, but the amount that the movie actually skews so close to the book is terrifying. Yeah, they do a really good job. And, like, not just The Last Unicorn, another book of Peter's that I absolutely love to death is Tamsin. Ah, yes. And... Oh, we're going on a big, long tangent. You know what, guys? Whatever. You get to hear this tangent because it's fun and kind of relevant to what we're saying. Um, (laughs) But Tamsin is a story about a girl who grows up in New York City with her single mother. And when her single mother goes, hey, congratulations, my hormonal teenage daughter. We are moving to, like, Ireland. Because I've fallen in love with a man who has gotten a grant from the government to take over this land to do a non-invasive style of farming so we won't decimate a mole population on this land. But So they move to this middle-of-nowhere little rinky-dink Irish or Scottish town. I think it's Irish. It's been a long time since I've read this book. But they move into probably this... Probably Irish. Yeah, they move to this... Yeah, it was Irish because I think they mentioned, like, the British overlords who come in. Like, a British judge is, like, the villain of the book. Spoilers. <laughs> um, but they move into this rickety old farmhouse and the house is completely just riddled with fey nonsense like there's this entire chapter of her and her like 
big tomcat beating up this brownie who was like abusing his stay in the house. And she's like, hey, stop stealing stuff. I'll leave you milk if you behave. And like the next day, her mom's glasses are fixed. The next day, the washer machine starts working again. But like she has to like actively sick her cat on this brownie. And she's just like, I'm not dealing with this. She becomes friends with a puka. You know, it's like, it's a great book. Like she, she just starts to get integrated into the wild things of this world. And they're, they warn her like, you are not from here, but you have spirit, but you have to be careful, especially the woman who lives in the attic. And she meets a ghost named Tamsin. And that's all I'm going to say, because I want you guys to read the rest. Good Lord. (laughs) I even still own a copy of Tamsin. I might need to buy another one. I could give it to Bristol when she gets older. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to be careful with that. Because the, the last unicorn is a children's book, technically. Te- but it is one of those that it's like, goddamn, the violence. <laughs> we're, we're Animorphs fans. Okay. We don't need, <laughs> we grew up with that. Yeah, we did. But now it's just like thinking about it. It's like, should we have read that? There's probably a lot of books I shouldn't have read in like (laughs) in in elementary school. There's a lot of books I know I should not have read until I was older. But by sixth grade, I was ranking in college level reading comprehension. So I was allowed to read whatever I wanted in the library. I could go up to the biggest books, check them out, and the lady wouldn't bat an eye because sure enough, I would bring that book back at the end of the week, take the test, make a bunch of points, and, you know. Hey, kid. Yes. I would like to give you another uh, symptom of autism, and it's called hyperlexia, (laughs) which is when you read at a higher uh, reading level when you were very young. (laughs) Uh, You know, like reading at a college level when you're in fourth or fifth grade. (laughs) Listen, we've already established that I am, how, how do the kids put it? Uh, neurospicy? Yes. But whatever it is, I'm mild enough that I'm able to self-regulate. Kit, I love you. You are not mild anything. <laughs> Except emotionally, <laughs> like we said earlier. <laughs> Even then, like, yeah, you're very, like, mellow. But, like, when you, like, have a strong emotion, it is nothing anywhere near mild. <laughs> Anyway, let's get back to, like, yeah. what we were doing. <laughs> Long tangent over about books. We like books. That's why we do this podcast. Anyway, Moonpaw is slain defending Pennybright and Lingfur. She orders them to get back to Oxeye and report, then dives headfirst into a horde with a war cry. Pennybright does as ordered, and Oxeye admits they've lost the lower levels. Bart is, of course, recovered enough to uh, go fight, and the older hair decide the older hairs decide it's time they enter the fight. They don't come back. They order the younger ones to move move Earthstripe up to what they think is a safer place. Like the this, Penny Bright is going to have so much survivor's guilt. Like this, at least she hair. will have like the older hairs who also have it to be like, yeah, that's. A normal part of this, and it's bad, but we're here to help you through it. Yeah, that's true. She like, hasn't lost. Like, they're gonna have that. Yeah. You know what? That's another reason that, like, I know we could complain about Oxi surviving, but I'm not going to because, for one, it's the randomness of sometimes you just survive. But also, it's like the older generation gets to live to help the younger generation recover. 
Yeah, which is good, honestly. Uh, and this is also where I was like, you know what? I think Bart is very clever. Yes. Because <laughs> he is he is being a little goofy in this moment so that Pennybright and Linkfur are not, and uh, also, I believe, uh, Barful, are not, like, feeling terrible. Yeah. He's just like, no, nah, we got this. Yeah. We're good. We've got this. If I don't come back, listen, it's fine. They're, they're putting up <laughs> that strong front for the younger ones. Yeah. Alpho's party is almost is mostly up the mountain uh, when Alpho spots a rat peeking just barely over the rim. Uh, he n- hits the rat with a stone and this knocks the rat over the rim screaming, but it also st- uh, summons like more vermin to fire like spears and stones back at them. Frago is of course fucking baffled. Who the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh and Arula hits him in the paw with a stone, and he orders them to be killed, and the fight starts in earnest. Yeah. Um, it's I just imagine, like, the Wellheim scream as the rat falls. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, it's the yeah! kind of scream you hear. That was terrible. It's the scream you hear in, like, a lot of action films. Um, You're just gonna have to go find the Wilhelm scream and just put it in right there. Mm-hmm. I believe that's uh, public domain. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, I love this, like, oh. um... Let's see. The rat's head was barely visible, but as Alpho shouted, he turned and showed himself. The sling stone took him under the ear with a distinctive thud. The rat screamed and toppled over the crater top. Instantly, there was a mob of vermin hurling rocks and firing arrows down on down on them. Where did they come from? Who are they? Farago could be heard yelling from the top of the mountain. Arula aimed a rock from her sling in the direction of the voice. She was rewarded with a cry from the assassin. Ow! My paw! Kill them, whoever they are. Just he's just like uh, who, who, who are they? Hoops to the shit, and then Earthwhite hurls a boulder up and kills like three more vermin, and they all charge upwards in his wake at them. Back inside the mountain, Clitch and his crew encounter Oxi and his hairs. One side is confident, and the other resigned. But the fight carries on. Uh, and then Dragtail finds Klitsch. And Dragtail is like fucking terrified. He's coming from behind. And Klitsch asks where he's been. He should have been up here fighting. But Dragtail just says to listen. And they hear the chanting of Laga 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 Log echoing from below. Uh, Klitsch dismisses it. <laughs> What's a Laga Log mean? Just... <laughs> but an arrow from below takes out Dragtail, and the shrews with Mara and Pickle come hurtling around the corner. Rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Startled into a panic, Clitch manages to get himself into the center of the mass of his warriors. He grabs a
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout inspired audio drama.